Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, I thought that we might take a break uh, from Hebrews this morning, and we're going to be in John chapter 16. I'm using the Pew Bible if you want to follow along there. It's page 959. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. As I was reading and thinking through this passage this week, I, I was deeply encouraged by it uh, over the past week, and so I hope that, that the Holy Spirit uh, provides you the same this morning, and I trust that He will. Uh, I'll read the passage for us, I'll pray, and, and we'll, we'll work through it together. Uh, John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he's telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they said, What is this he is saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need to question you. By this, we believe you came from God. Jesus responded, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered from his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word this morning, and we ask that it would encourage us and equip us to fulfill your great commission. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to open up uh, this morning, and I want to share some quotes with you that have been spoken over the years uh, that may be a bit confusing when you first hear them, things that, that kind of make you go, wait, what? Say that again? What'd you say? Uh, but when you go back and, and when you really think on it, uh, that there is something actually being said. So Yogi Berra, uh, not to be confused with Yogi Bear, uh, <laughs> but Yogi Berra, famous catcher who, who played throughout the 50s, he said, if you don't know where you are going, you might wind up someplace else. And that, that, that one's more of a, a head-scratcher the more that you think about it. Michael Stipe, uh, a famous children's book author, he said, Sometimes I'm confused 
by what I think is really obvious. But what I think is really obvious, obviously isn't obvious. <laughs> James Madison said, ambition must be made to counteract ambition. And that one's just frustrating for me. <laughs> Aristotle said, and I can, I can barely read this one. Uh, he said, to say of what is that it is not, or of what is not that it is, is false. While to say of what is that it is, and of what is not that it is not, is true. <laughs> Don't ask me questions about that one. I'll let, I'll let Jordan uh, reflect on that one next week. Um, I've got one last one for you. This one comes from fiction. Uh, I've mentioned my love for the Lord of the Rings uh, to you guys before. That's, that's the nerd in me. And this is one of my favorites from there, so I had to throw it in there. Spoken uh, by Bilbo Baggins himself. He said, I don't know half of you as half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. <laughs> now, listening to those quotes, I would bet at least one of them left you scratching your head a little bit. And if so, then you understand how the disciples felt listening to what Jesus said in our passage this morning. Jesus, he, he often spoke in these ways uh, that left the disciples confused and muttering among themselves, trying to figure out just exactly what he was trying to communicate. And he often spoke in figurative language. Uh, he spoke in parables. He talked about future events that ha hadn't happened yet. And this type of teaching that Jesus did, it wasn't something uh, that they were familiar with. As, as you know, if you've been here the past few weeks, we've been spending a lot of time in Hebrews, and we've be, been seeing that the old covenant has passed away, uh, and the new covenant has come. And so what Jesus was doing was preparing their hearts for this coming new covenant. But what he said didn't always make sense to them. And there were many things Jesus taught that didn't become clear until after uh, his death and resurrection. And, and this is one of those things. Uh, so verse 16, he says, In a little while you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Now we, those of us in this room, we have something that I would call biblical hindsight. So in other words, uh, we know the full story, right? Like we know the full picture. We know how this ends. So when we read any passage of Scripture, we have the blessing of being able to read it through the lens uh, of knowing the full work that was accomplished by Christ. So when we read what Jesus says here, in a little while you no longer see me, and again, in a little while you will see me, we can see that Jesus is talking about his nearing death and his nearing resurrection. But take a minute and try and put yourself in the disciples' shoes, or sandals, uh, rather, uh, and, and they're all Israelites. These are God's chosen people, a people that have been waiting and waiting and waiting on a Messiah. And he's finally here. The one who was going to make everything better, the one who, who had finally come to finally make some changes, the one that they had hoped for, and the one that was now actually giving them hope. And he had just got there. Uh, remember, Jesus' public ministry, it was only about three years, and that is now less time than I've been here uh, at Talatha, which really puts in perspective just how short uh, that ministry was. And so, so they finally have the one that their people had been waiting for. And even though uh, Jesus had already shared with them the things that were coming, that he must suffer, they weren't fully grasping the fact that he was actually going to die. His body was going to be in a grave, and they couldn't mentally understand that. Their hearts weren't prepared uh, to, to take that in, because how could it be? This is, 
the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is God in human flesh, their Lord. How could their Lord die? How could he go away? And on top of that, uh, consider what's been happening in, in the previous chapters. In John chapter 13, Jesus, he washes their feet. And after he washes their feet, he tells them, uh, he says, one of you are going to betray me. And then he goes on to tell Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And in chapter 15, he says, the world's hated me, so the world's going to hate you, and you're going to be persecuted uh, because of your faith in me. And then in the beginning of chapter 16, uh, he tells them uh, that they're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. And, and it's leaving them anxious, it's leaving them concerned, and woven all in and, all in and out of this bad news, uh, Jesus is also telling them, but everything's going to be okay. Just trust that everything is going to be okay. Trust that God is going to make it okay. Abide in me, and it's going to be okay. The Holy Spirit is coming, so it's going to be okay. And like I said earlier, we have this biblical hindsight, so we know that it really is going to be okay for them. But they haven't gone through it yet. They haven't seen it with their eyes yet. So imagine hearing the worst news that you could possibly hear and also being told that it's going to be okay. Like e emotionally, uh, that would feel like magnets sort of repelling against each other. There would be this tension happening inside of, inside of them going, you're telling us things are going to be okay, but you're also telling us some really bad things are going to happen. How can these two things coexist? And they're anxious, and they're spiritually, and they're emotionally confused about the things Jesus has been saying. So when Jesus says, in a little while you'll no longer see me, again, in a little while you will see me, the thought of his death and resurrection, that was absolutely nowhere on their radar. Because their hearts weren't prepared for it. And their only re response to this is confusion. So they start talking among themselves, as they often do. Verse 18, they said, what is this he is saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. As they often are with Jesus, like we've, we've realized here, they're confused. They're confused about what he's saying. What does this mean? What could Jesus be talking about? And Jesus, as he always does, he knows their thoughts, he knows their hearts. He understands in verses 19 and 20, says, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said. In a little while you will not see me again. In a little while you will see me. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus, he, he recognizes that they need more understanding. And so he says, when I leave for this little while, when I'm gone, you will weep. You will mourn. You will have sorrow. All while the world is rejoicing. The, the crucifixion of Jesus, this, this is the darkest day in human history. And Jesus says that the world will rejoice. And they did. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the unbelieving Jews, all the people who, who, who hated Jesus, those who perceived him to be an enemy to them or a disturber of the peace or a blasphemer or rebellious or whatever false conclusion they came to about him, they would rejoice because from their perspective, they finally got him. And he will be no more. He's not going to be a problem anymore. He's dead. He's done. It's over. And Jesus says, while the world rejoices, the disciples will have sorrow. And they will weep and they will mourn. And Jesus is their Lord. 
right? Like he, he's their savior. He's come to make everything okay. So how could their Lord and Savior die? It would be their darkest experience that, that they've had those three days that Jesus' body was, was in the grave, and their confusion would only grow. Their sadness uh, would only grow, and they, they'd be left wondering, what are we supposed to do now if he's dead? But Jesus is telling them that that sorrow, it will not linger long, because in a little while, it will turn into joy. Because in a little while, they will, in fact, see him again. When we read the rest of the gospel stories, we see this joy that Jesus is talking about, that the disciples end up having, right? When Jesus is resurrected, it says that Mary Magdalene, she clings to him in joy when she saw him. The disciples, they all rejoiced, they fell at his feet, and they worshiped him in joy when they saw him resurrected. Thomas, he believed in joy when he saw the scars in the hands and the feet from the nails. Peter, he jumps out of a boat and swims like a hundred yards to get to Jesus because he's so filled with joy that he's there. Their fear, their doubt, their sorrow, their sadness it, that had overwhelmed them the past three days, uh, it, it would be transformed to joy because their Lord was alive. It was as if their pain that they went through those past three days had never existed. And Jesus, he gives a quick example of what this is like. And I love when a passage gives the illustration for you. I think Jordan would agree with this. That's sometimes the, the hardest part of preparing a sermon is, is thinking of an illustration. So when the passage does it for you, it makes it easy. Uh, but uh, verses 21 through 22, it says, When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I thought that this, this illustration uh, made this a fitting passage for today for Mother's Day. Jesus tells them, he says, think about uh, what a mother goes through when she gives birth. Now, no one with even a shred of common sense would seriously tell a mom giving birth is easy, right? Like That's just something we know that that's not going to be said. And it, it's not just the, the labor and the birth. It, it's really the entire process. There's morning sickness, heartburn, sore feet, uh, sore body, poor sleep. I mean, just all of it. And I think any woman who has been pregnant would confirm that you pretty much get to a place uh, where you're just uncomfortable every single second. Is that right, moms? Do, do, I, do I have that right? Okay, so as most of you know, Laura and I, we, we have Alice and Jane. Jane was, was dedicated uh, this morning, and both of them were big babies. Alice was nine and a half pounds, and uh, Jane was 9.7. And so I think they get that for me because I was 10.2. Uh, so I, I was also uh, a big baby, and I remember by that third trimester, Laura was pretty miserable uh, with those big babies. And regardless of how big or small, there is real physical grief in pregnancy and in giving birth. And not just physical grief, but there's mental grief also. There's mental anguish and fears and worries and what ifs and what am I supposed to do? Is this going to be okay? Like it's all there mentally and physically. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples is think about all of that sorrow and that grief that a mother goes through in giving birth. Now, what happens as soon as that baby is born? That sorrow, that grief, that pain, it immediately turns to joy. He says a mother no longer remembers her suffering. I will never forget the look 
on Laura's face when, when they first laid Alice on her for the first time. It might just be the most pure face of joy that I have ever seen ever. Uh, and it was as if the previous pain and grief of labor had never happened. Everything that she just went through, it wasn't even a thought in her mind. It was only joy because her daughter had come. Any mother in this room knows exactly what this is like. And Jesus, he's saying to the disciples, in that same way, your sadness, it will turn to joy. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is so great and so wonderful that it transforms sorrow into joy. Everything about Christianity, everything, it hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then everyone in this room, we're just wasting our time being here. I mean, that, that is the reality. There is no point of us gathering like this if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But if he did, and as God's people, we're convinced that he did, <laughs> then we have a reason to rejoice this morning. Because we are eternally saved by a risen Lord. So Laura and I, we, we started watching uh, this new Netflix show that came out this week. It's called Wild Babies. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone has seen this on Netflix. There's a hand there. You've seen it. Yeah, uh, you ought to watch it. It's really fascinating, and, and it's just entertaining. It's this nature documentary following the lives of different baby animals that are trying to survive in the wild and, and make it into adulthood. And on one episode, there was a certain species of monkeys, one that I won't try and pronounce. I, I can't pronounce it. I tried to look it up, but I, I just couldn't say it. Uh, but they, they made their home around this ancient temple. <laughs> and the reason that they made their home here um, is because people would come and they would leave offerings to their gods uh, at this ancient temple. And oftentimes the offerings that they were leaving, it was food. And so these monkeys are surviving off of food that's meant for idols. And we noticed how sad that was because it's reflective of what those offerings represent, a dead religion. But that's not Christ. That's not what we believe because he is risen. He is alive. And he offers a joy that overpowers sorrow and grief, joy that masters grief, joy that, that crushes sadness. Tim Keller, he, he said this about the resurrection. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead then everything is going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. I don't know how, but it will be. This is the hope of the gospel. Everything, everything is going to be okay. Because of his resurrection, we're promised two things. One, a resurrection of God's people and a resurrected world. So our bodies will rise from the grave just as his did. Amen. And they will be new, and they will be eternal, and they will be without sin nature. There will also be a real, material, actual world that is washed clean of suffering and pain and sadness and wounds of sin, of grief, sickness, everything. So you know how, how I mentioned before how today we have biblical hindsight. We also have the blessing of biblical foresight. Our hope is in how this story ends, because we know how this story ends. This doesn't mean that we don't grieve. This doesn't mean that we don't hurt. It doesn't mean that we don't shed tears, but it means the power of the resurrection gives us strength to grieve and to hurt and to shed tears 
with hope. But in the same way, nothing could strip the disciples of their joy seeing the Lord resurrected on that third day. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that holds the power to strip the Christian person of their joy in Jesus Christ. There's nothing. It's eternal. And Jesus being resurrected, it would also make clear the things that had been blurry for the disciples. So all of this time, he's been talking to them and talking to them and talking to them and sharing things about what's going to happen and what's to come. And half the time, they're confused. They really just don't know what's going on. Uh, But the things that have been blurry to them will be made clear when Jesus is resurrected. And it will also usher in this new covenant era for God's people. Verses 23 through 28. And that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So Jesus, he's spoken these ways that didn't make sense most of the time, Uh, at the time that they were being spoken. And because of this, the disciples were often having to say, what are you talking about? You're speaking in riddles again. What are you saying? Uh, And and arguing among themselves sometimes over something he said, always trying to crack the secret message that Jesus was giving because they didn't understand. And even when Jesus shared from what our perspective seems pretty clear, pretty straightforward, it was still hard for them to understand it. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus tells them pretty plainly, like verbatim, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. And immediately after Jesus says that, it says that the disciples were confused and they didn't understand what he was talking about. The resurrection was necessary to make what was blurry clear. So Jesus is saying in that day, resurrection day, and every day after that, you won't ask me anything because the blurry things will finally be made clear. You'll finally understand what it was that I was talking about all this time. He says, I've been speaking to you figuratively, but that time is coming when I teach you plainly about the Father. And after the resurrection, the resurrection will make that possible. And all of this time in the ministry with Jesus, they physically had them there, right? They were with him physically for three years. And so they had them there, him there with them for three years to ask questions to uh, when they were confused, when they didn't understand things yet. But they had not yet asked God the Father. And so in verse 24, Jesus says, Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made complete. So Jesus is saying, you guys don't realize it yet. You have not understood that my accomplished work here, it makes me the mediator between God and man. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews was saying in chapter 9 from a few weeks ago. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, it gives God's people direct access to the grace of God, to reconciliation with God, to prayer with God, to the new covenant with God. Christ's work is what makes any of it possible. 
So he says, moving forward, ask in my name and you will receive. And in receiving these blessings from God with this direct access to God, your joy will be made complete. And I think the end of verse 26 and 27 is important because he says, I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So Jesus says to them, he says, you need to understand something. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to be going to God beckoning for you saying, look, God the Father, I know that you don't really like or care for these people. I know that you sort of hate them, and I know that you're sort of angry with them for being dirty, rotten sinners, but they do have faith in me, right? So please answer their prayer. That's, that's not what's happening. He's saying, remember, I and the Father are one. My love for you is his love for you. The most popular verse in Scripture isn't for God so hated the world that he gave us Christ. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God is real, and in love he offered Christ and raised him from death so that we could be saved from our sins and so that we could be reconciled to him. Verses 29 through 33, his disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly, not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. This passage, it closes with Jesus giving them, the disciples, one last piece of bad news. And the bad news is that they will abandon him. And he says, the time is coming, and it's here, it's happening tonight, when they come to arrest me, and all of you will scatter. You'll scatter in fear, and you'll be afraid, and I will be left alone by you. But the truth is, I won't be alone because the Father is with me. Now, I think there's some great encouragement to take away from what Jesus says there. Says there because for the Christian, everyone, every Christian at some point has felt and experienced loneliness. We've probably all been abandoned in some way by friends before. But for the Christian, we can be comforted to know Jesus, he knows exactly what that's like. Because he went through it himself. He shared in our weakness. And I think that that's one of the most important things that sets Christianity apart from every religion is that we serve a Lord who knows what we are going through when we suffer. Because he himself suffered in those ways. But also for the Christian... We are never really alone because we have his spirit with us. And in love, God does not abandon his people. So Jesus, he doesn't leave the disciples with this discouraging news of their falling away. He closes with good news for them. He says, be courageous. I have overcome the world. The moment that Jesus was resurrected, he overcame sin and death. And in overcoming sin and death, he overcame the world. And because he did for his people, we don't need to fear sin. And we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear what those things bring into this world. Because we have hope of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, he, he said this about death. I opened with some quotes. I'll close with this one. And this one is, is clear and a powerful one, I think. 
He says, those that believe in Jesus Christ appear to die, but yet they live. They are not in the grave. They are forever with their Lord. They are not unconscious. They are with their Lord in paradise. Death cannot kill a believer. It can only usher him into a freer form of life. Because of God's love, we don't fear. Because of God's love, we hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this passage that reminds us of the power of your resurrection and that we too as your people will be resurrected one day and that we will have a world that is made new and that you will make everything okay somehow by your power because you raised Christ from the dead. We know you will make everything okay. Lord, if anyone here this morning doesn't know you as Lord, I ask that you would add them